In Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job asked, and you know there, there are three other men involved in the conversations in Job, not all the words of Job, but Job said, If a man die, will he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. That is the question of faith and religion. Why we would be believers in Jesus Christ or not, it is the answer to that question. If a man or woman die, will he live again? And if we don't, it doesn't matter. But if we do, then it matters more than anything in the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 said, If in this life only we had hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Why would, be the mo why would we be the most miserable people in the world if in this life only we had hope in Christ? Several years ago, a young man I went to Bible college with, not young anymore, wrote a great song called, I Choose to Be a Christian. You know, this is a better life. Jesus gave us life and that more abundantly, and we believe that. But if it all ended on our last breath, then we would be of all men most miserable because we would be living for eternity only to find out that life only mattered in time. Max Lucado said this powerfully in an old book of his, No Wonder They Call Him Savior. I went back and bought the Kindle version today because I could only remember a piece of what he said. It all began when someone convinced us that the human race is headed nowhere, that man has no destiny, that we're in a cycle, that there is no reason or rhyme to this absurd existence. Somewhere we got the idea that we are meaninglessly trapped on a puny mud heap that has no destination. The earth, they say, is just a spinning mausoleum and the universe is purposeless. The creation was incidental and humanity has no direction. He said if man has no destiny, then he has no duty. And you've heard me quote this before. No obligation, no responsibility. If man has no destiny, then he has no guidelines or goals. If man has no destiny, then who is to say what is right and wrong? Who is to say that a husband can't leave his wife and family? Who is to say you can't abort a fetus? What's wrong with shacking up? Who says I can't sleep on someone's neck, step on someone's neck to get to the top? It's your value system against mine. No absolutes, no principles, no ethics, no standards. Life is reduced to weekends, paychecks, and quick thrills. The bottom line is a disaster. The existentialist writes existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre, he finds it extremely embarrassing that God does not exist. But there disappears with him all possibility of finding values in an intelligible heaven. Everything is indeed permitted if God does not exist and if man is in consequence forlorn for he cannot find anything to depend on within or without himself. I say that is very well said. That if we have no destiny, we have no duty. And if we have no duty, no goals and guidelines, then we have no value. 
That's why we can kill unborn babies. That's why we can move toward a culture where people are dispensable and they have no value. But I'm, God, I'm glad that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm glad that while I was yet a sinner that Christ died for me. That when I had no value in myself that God Almighty saw me and loved me for what he could make of me that I have value to Almighty God. In the middle of a passage that I will get to later, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.32, If after manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it, it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's why. Ultimately, the pivotal question of Christianity is, is there a resurrection of the dead? And if there's not, then life has no meaning at all. I told you Job posed that question, if a man die, will he live again? But Job answered his own question in Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know, you have to understand that Job is one of the oldest stories in the Bible. It predates the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Job existed way back there. The wealthiest man in the east lost everything but his wife. He lost everything but his life and his wife. But Job said in the middle of his trouble, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And that though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see, this is so prophetic, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job had an understanding way back there before Jesus Christ was born that there will be a resurrection of the body. I will see him in my flesh. Wow. So this doctrine of the resurrection of the dead really is a foundational doctrine. On April 21st, Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate our resurrection from sin and we're going to look forward to our resurrection in the end. Amen? And I plan to preach on John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. I'm glad for the day that I repented of dead works and had faith toward God, that I was buried in water in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I passed from death to life. Amen. So don't forget John 5 either because we'll come back to it as well. The Old Testament teachings affirm the resurrection of the dead. Job spoke of it in Job 19. I've already read that passage. Isaiah spoke of it in Isaiah 26, 19. Thy dead men shall live. Daniel spoke of it in Daniel 12. At that time shall Michael stand up, that great prince which standeth before the children of thy people. 
And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even at that same time. And at that time, they people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them, Daniel 12 and 2, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. We will see Jesus referring to this same idea in John chapter 5 later. Amen. It is, it is indicated in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses sees the Lord in a burning bush and the Lord says, Draw not hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place where on thy standest is holy ground. Moreover, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He said, I am the God that will resurrect these old patriarchs. Jesus referred to this story and interpreted what happened to Moses in the burning bush in Mark 12, 24. You'll see this verse on the screen. Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err because you do not know the scriptures nor neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now we read about in Hebrews of these old patriarchs who were people of faith. Because ultimately the underlying common denominator of everyone who will go to heaven is that they had faith in God and obeyed God's plan of salvation for their day. For our day, it is Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But faith underlies obedience to that injunction and receiving the promise of the Holy Ghost. Now Jesus said, He's the God of the living, not the dead, not the living. You do therefore greatly err. In the days of Jesus, and this would have predated him, and the days of the early church in the book of Acts, there were five major religious groups or sects. The Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, and Herodians. And the Sadducees and Pharisees were the two main groups. The Sadducees denied resurrection of the dead. They denied the existence of angels and spirits. But the Pharisees believed in both. There is a very fascinating story in Acts chapter 23 when the Apostle Paul was taken captive. He's on kind of a, a circuitous route to Rome. He's a prisoner and he's standing before the Sanhedrin, that ruling body of the Jews of 70 men presided over by the high priest. Acts 23, 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called into question. He just threw, you know, an, a bomb, a grenade out in the middle of that council. And when he had so said... There arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the multitude was divided. Sounds like the U.S. Congress, doesn't it? 
For the Sadducees say there, there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Now let me pause here to say that these were religious people. They grew up on the Old Testament. But this more elite Sadducee group, probably the more wealthy class, they had come to the place, even as people who claimed faith in Jehovah God, that they no longer believed the words of Job, the words of Moses, the words of Isaiah the prophet. They no longer believed in a resurrection of the dead. How can you call yourself religious and believe that religion is an end in itself and that it ends at, the, at death? But they did. And I'm saying that to just highlight the fact that there are people here today, not here today, but there are people in the religious community today that have quit believing fundamental principles of the Word of God. You may wonder how it ha can happen, but it happened then and it happens now. The Sadducees, yeah, and there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. I love that. Because Paul is enjoying every moment of this at this point. And the Sadducees are boiling in anger now. Because the Pharisees are saying, oh my goodness, an angel might have spoken to this man or a spirit might have spoken to him. They were just pouring fuel on the fire. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, a Roman, fearing Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among him and bring him into the castle. And that story continues. Please don't keep reading now, but go home and read it later. There is a big debate over the resurrection in the days of Jesus and in the days of Paul in the early church. This, this dissension was so strong that they were going to pull Paul in pieces. That was pretty serious stuff. Isn't it amazing how... Violent people get over religion. So what does the Bible say about the resurrection of the dead? Uh, there's a couple of books published by Pentecostal Publishing House. One by David Bernard on the essential doctrines of the Bible. One's a compilation of various authors that deal with last things. All, all great doctrines of the Bible. But I want to refer just to a little section from Brother Bernard's book on the essential doctrines of the Bible. So it's just as a very short summary. When a person dies, his body goes to the grave in a state the Bible likes and is to sleep to await the resurrection or reuniting of the body and soul. We would call this physical death, the separation of the body and the spirit. The unrighteous soul waits in a place of unrest, the unrighteous soul. A place of unrest while the righteous soul is at rest in the Lord. And I just want to refer to Luke chapter 16 you may remember the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man fared sumptuously every day. Lazarus, covered with sores, laid at the rich man's gate, begged for food, and the dogs licked his sores. Quite a contrast of how they were in life, the have and the have not. Verse 22 of Luke 16 says, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, a place of rest. The rich man 
also died and was buried. We don't even know if the beggar was buried. He died though. The rich man was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He had a vision of what was going on in another place. Now, the Bible teaches that there will one day be, and I'll get to this a little bit later, and in a couple of weeks I plan to come back. We have life groups next week. So the first Wednesday of March I, I plan to come back and teach on eternal judgment and deal with that doctrine. But there will be a resurrection of just and unjust. I'll get to that tonight later, John chapter 5. And so we know that there will be a reuniting of the body and the human spirit for eternity in either heaven or hell, New Jerusalem or the lake of fire, okay? So now we see the place of the dead in this waiting period between now and the final resurrection and judgment. Abraham sees this. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And the story goes on that there's a great gulf fix, that you cannot go from one place to the other. You are eternally destined after death, and you can't change locations, and you can't change your mind. You choose your eternal destiny while you're breathing. You know, the rich man, it's not part of my message, but I put it in my notes just to refer to this. The rich man says, you know, would you send someone from the dead to go back to my house where I have five brothers? Somebody go back, tell them to not come to this place. And the voice says, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have a Bible. And if they won't believe the Bible, they will not believe the one rise from the dead. Think if I could just see a vision, I would believe you have a Bible. If I could just have a dream from God, I would believe it might help, but you have a Bible. And if you won't believe the Bible, you probably won't believe though some supernatural phenomenon occurred to you. That's what the Lord told the rich man in hell. There is a temporary abode of the souls. Psalm 16, 8 speaks of this and the Apostle Peter in Acts 2 referred back to this. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore my, is my heart, my, excuse me, my, therefore, let me read this in English. Therefore my heart is glad. I am hurrying for a reason because there's a lot, too much here. And my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The apostle Peter quoted from that passage in Acts chapter 2 verse 27, preaching the first sermon of the church on the day of Pentecost when salvation was first received. When Jesus rose from the dead, Ephesians 4, 8 tells us, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. He changed something 
in that place called hell, and he gave gifts unto men. Verse 9 said, he ascended, but he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I want to talk about what happens when a person dies. A Christian dies. First, 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. So we're going to read some scripture tonight and uh, take a little time to let the Bible speak for itself. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, and we're speaking in figurative terms about our human body as a tabernacle. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We learn in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked, clothed with the righteousness of God, so that one day we are clothed with eternal life, a changed nature. You know, the Bible said that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 4, For we that are in this tabernacle, this earthly body, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. You feel the pain of this man who is describing human existence when we were created for eternity We were created to be immortal beings, but we live in time and we have bodies that get sick, that age, that get decrepit and die. And we groan for that. We groan for the day when this mortal body is changed. We'll get to that later. Verse 5. For he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Earnest is a down payment. That's what the Holy Ghost is. It is a down payment of what heaven is going to be like. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So as long as we're here on earth, living in a human body, we are absent from the presence of God in His fullest sense. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. In the last few years when I'm standing at a a graveside, at a funeral, and I know that there are unbelievers there, I will often go back and talk about how we were created in the image of God. We came from dust. We'll go back to dust. That when we die, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. That's what Paul is saying here. That when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. We're waiting on the resurrection of the reuniting of body and spirit, but we are present with the Lord spiritually when we die. I'm thinking about something that, not in my notes, but let me just pause to say this. Jesus said, John 14, I go away to prepare a place. If I go away, I will come again to you, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's preparing a place. And one day we're going to go to that place. And I know we like to envision our lost loved ones who are in Christ walking on streets of gold and going through the pearly gates. But biblically, that is futuristic, not present. 
But when you die, the Bible is clear that we are present with the Lord, waiting the resurrection of the dead. And if you make it at death, you'll make it on streets of gold. I'm sorry to mess with your theories, but that's just what the Bible teaches. Sorry, but we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. In other words, as long as I'm alive, I want to make sure I'm saved because when I die, I really want to make sure I'm saved. I want to be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You may think that all dogs go to heaven, but all people don't go to heaven. And we need to get a grip on the fact that there's a heaven and a hell. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why do you think we say take two? Why do we celebrate conversions? Why do we make a big deal about the mission of this church is to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that is all that matters. That's why we grieve over lost people. And when conversions are down, we know that we are not doing our job as a church. We are not obeying the Great Commission. And the people with whom we work and our family members that have not obeyed the gospel will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Amen. That's a couple weeks from now. But knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, I thought you were just to leave it up to them. Let your kids decide. No, we persuade them. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Philippians 1 and 20. Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always, so now also shall Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Those are hard words to say sometimes, aren't they? You got a brand new grandson. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Life is so good for us to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, if you're in prison, like Paul was in Philippians, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I know not, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. Paul said, I'm kind of torn here having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. If I stick around, I can help you go to heaven. That's what he was saying. Questions existed in the early church about the catching way of the church. We call it the rapture, the parousia, the gathering together of God's people. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, remember I told you I'm going to let the Bible Speak for itself a lot tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 1 
But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. So your loved one died in Christ. Someone else's loved one did not die in Christ. They have no hope. The lost of this world have no hope beyond the grave. But we have hope, and he wants to assure them and comfort them in this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The chapter ends, but the thought continues, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. So this, this is going to happen. But let me talk to you about when it's going to happen. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Jesus spoke of this, didn't he? For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. But what if Jesus comes at midnight or three in the morning and you're sound asleep? If you're ready, you're ready. Amen? If you live ready, you're ready. And it's not going to surprise you when it happens. For you are all the children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us live our lives watchful for the coming of the Lord, right? For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, be drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, we are supposed to be, Children of light, you're of the day, right? Let us be sober. And that here is not referring to not being drunk, which is another principle in the Bible. Let us not be drunk with wine where is in its excess, but let us be filled with the Spirit. That's another scripture, right? But he is saying we need to be serious about our lives, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus. Those of us who lean toward a pre-tribulational view of the coming of the Lord, like this verse, we believe that has strong implications about when he's coming back. Verse 10. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. He said, I know you already do this, but you need to encourage one another, and you need to comfort one another, because times can get tough, and you want to help your brothers and sisters to stay in the church, stay in the truth. Now, in the church in Corinth, 
there was a debate about the resurrection and whether or not baptism made a difference. And Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 1. He tells us what the gospel is. So I'm going to go through eight verses and I'm going to go to later. This is a long chapter in 1 Corinthians, so I'm going to talk about what really applies. But I think this is significant for when he talks about why baptism matters. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. Like on a firm foundation, right? You stand in what you receive. By which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. In other words, you can't get saved and then walk away from God. You're not eternally secure. You see what he's saying right here? You, you believed it, you obeyed it, you were saved, and you'll stay saved if you don't walk away from it. Don't miss that. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what he's going to say. Christ died according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. When he says Scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. This was something that was prophesied about before the new. The new was not in writing when he's saying this, okay? And that he was seen of Cephas, Simon Peter, and then the twelve. And after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. He said, this is not some weird thing that's happened in the middle of the night. He said, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Simon Peter saw him. The twelve saw him. Five hundred people saw him. You go to court and have 500 people witness against you and see if you're going to get off. 500 eyewitnesses is compelling proof. And Paul said most of them are still alive to tell you they saw him with their own eyes. After that he was seen of James, then all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. He saw him, Acts 9, on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him. And then in verse 12, he's going to talk about the resurrection. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now we're talking about Christians, people who have obeyed Acts 2.38, and maybe that old Sadducee, you know, stream of doctrine is flowing over here and is dissuading the faith of some. Verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Now you see why it's important that I read what I read before. Over 500 people saw at one time that he's living. He rose from the dead. They saw him ascend into heaven. Who's coming up here in Corinth with this idea that Jesus didn't raise from the dead? He's addressing this with them. 
But if there be no resurrection of the dead, verse 13 again, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? It's worthless. And your faith is also vain. Go home, have a good night. Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow you die. The world's a spinning mausoleum. It doesn't matter. That's what Paul's saying, right? We're wasting our time if this is a hoax. Yea, and we are found false witnesses. Not only that, he said, we're a bunch of liars. We're making up a fairy tale. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. Whom he raised not up, if so be, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. He's dealing with them from a logical position. If you say there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus can't be raised from the dead. And if he raised from the dead, then there has to be a resurrection of other dead. The church. Okay? Then they are also which are fallen asleep in Christ or perish. They repented, got baptized, received the Holy Ghost, died. There's no resurrection. They cease to exist. They've all perished. This is for nothing. If in this life only, remember I told you we would get to this verse later? Now here's the context. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? Now, the resurrection has stages. It is Christ and then those that are in Christ. He was the first fruits and we follow him. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Here's the order of the resurrection. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. By the way, Romans 8, I think 11 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Well, that's why the Holy Ghost is essential to salvation and knowing the sign of receiving the Spirit is a big deal. We don't teach people to speak in tongues, but we know speaking in tongues is the, sign of, the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. And if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. Okay, verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. Now we're getting a picture at the very end of things, right? For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. This is somewhat of a tongue twister verse, but it means that Almighty God, we have the, the man Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man, and Almighty God is not under the feet of the man Christ Jesus, right? And that's what verse 27 is saying. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued under him, then shall the Son, that role of the Sonship, also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. In other words, ultimately, God will prevail. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And then He says, Else what shall they do 
which are baptized for the dead. If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, there's, there's a church, a, a cult, that takes this verse and they baptize for their dead relatives. You can read this in other translations if you would like, studying in commentaries. Probably the easiest way you don't add to or take away from the Bible but our King James is not as clear here. We are baptized for the dead one, Jesus. That's the one who died that we got baptized for, right? We are buried with him by baptism into death. So he's saying we got baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. But if he is not risen from the dead, then it doesn't matter. And that's the whole argument of this entire passage. Everybody with me? Verse 30. And, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Why am I risking my life for the gospel? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. And literally, I do not believe this Paul is saying that, you know, I know we all need to die daily and take up our cross, but Paul is saying here, I live in the threat of death every day. That's what he means here. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Why would I go through all of this if it doesn't matter? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Remember I told you we would come to this verse. Be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Now this verse seems out of place, doesn't it? But remember he's talking to them about people that they're hanging out with that believe false doctrine, that are subverting their faith, that are telling them things that are not true, that they know better than that. And he's telling them, quit hanging out with people that do not believe the truth who are undermining your faith in Jesus Christ. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God... And I speak this to your shame. But some men will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, thou which, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So now we're going to get into some vows and you know, King James language. And I've chose to stay in the King James uh, on purpose tonight. But New King James, New Living Translation, other translations would make this easier reading, but, but I, I'm doing this on purpose because I think it's helpful here. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body, that it shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or if some other grain. In other words, he said, you put a seed in the ground, it's one thing. It grows up and it becomes something else, so you sow it this way and you know it's going to grow up and you're going to harvest something else. Everybody with me there? But God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, and there are terrestrial bodies, bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. He's talking about sun, moon, stars are way up there, and he'll explain that in a minute. And then there, there are men and there are animals, birds and fish, and we're not all the same. I jokingly said all dogs go to heaven, but he's saying that all not, not all living things are the same. 
Paul says that right there. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And For one star differeth from another star in glory or brightness. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Thank you for that example. Now let's just bring us back to what we're talking about. We're talking about the human body. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And when he speaks of it being sown here, he's talking about it is buried. This human body is going to be buried in dishonor. It died, it decayed, it died of a disease. It's raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. It's sown a natural body, verse 44. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. In other words, we start a natural body, and eventually we're going to be a spiritual body. We're coming down the home stretch here. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As, it, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now this is where Paul is going to make sense out of all of we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as fast as you can blink, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For when this corruption, for this corruptible, excuse me, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on corruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Would you please stand? Jesus said to Martha, she was near the grave of her brother Lazarus. If you would have been here, Lord, he would not have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In John 6, Jesus spoke of this, revela- of, of this resurrection. 
in Romans 8, Paul spoke of this resurrection. In 1 Peter 1, the apostle Peter spoke of this resurrection. And then in John chapter 5, I said I would get here, but I will save it because it segues into eternal judgment. Jesus said that the hour is coming and now is. If you could go immediately in John 5.25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And they have him, gave him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I made that my closing statements. I have other scriptures here about the glorious hope, the blessed appearing, the, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing. But there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, of the just and the unjust. And it is for that reason. It's because not... All people go to the same place. Jesus spoke of a, a straight gate, a skinny gate, and a narrow way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. He spoke of a, a wide gate and a broad way that leads to destruction, and he said, many there be that go in thereat. There's a lot of people, he said, that are just going with the flow of the populace. And they're going to eternal destruction. So when we sing about, Lord, give us a revival, we talk about reaching lost people, we ask God to let His glory come among us, it is not just so we can feel good or enjoy the fellowship of one another's company. It is because it really matters because there is a resurrection of the dead. If you have a few moments to gather at the altar, I'd invite you to come now. As you come, would you ask the Lord to help us? Let our own hearts be revived. That the Lord would give us a revival in our church. And that he would reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.